welcome to Trek Companion. This is episode 98. I'm your host, Brian Williams. I am Adam Caesar. I'm Stephen Embry. And today we're discussing Next Gen's sixth season episodes, Chain of Command, parts one and two, as one discussion, and Ship in a Bottle. Here we go. Chain of Command, Parts 1 and 2, Season 6, Episodes 10 and 11, Production Numbers 236 and 237. Original air dates December 14th and December 21st, 1992. Directed by Robert Shearer and Les Landau. Story by Frank Abadamarco. Teleplay by Ronald D. Moore. Written by Frank Abadamarco. Music composed by Jay Chataway. Guest cast include Ronnie Cox as Captain Edward Jellicoe. Natalia Nagulich as Admiral Alina Necheyev. John Durbin as Gol Lamech. Lou Wagner as Solok, David Warner as Gold Madrid, Heather Lauren Olson as Jill Ora, and Majel Barrett as Computer Voice. As tensions between the Federation and the Kardashians grow, Picard is ordered to leave the Enterprise to lead a top-secret mission with Beverly and Worf. The three begin a rigorous training sessions, although only the captain knows the nature of their upcoming task. Among the crew, there is speculation about whether Picard will return when Captain Jellicoe is assigned to take command over Commander Riker. When Picard's team finally embarks on their mission, he is able to relay the enormous gravity of their situation. The Cardassians are rumored to be developing metagenic weapons, genetically engineered viruses that destroy all living things in their path on an abandoned planet called Sutras 3. Picard and his team have been ordered to locate these weapons and, and destroy them at all costs. In spite of all you've done to me, I find you a pitiable man. Picard, stop it, or I will turn this on and leave you in agony all night. Ah, you call me Picard. Chen, come in. It's, it's weird. Uh... I had said that I was pretty sure part Chain of Command Part Two was my favorite episode of Next Gen. I still think that's the case. It's only weird because like it doesn't stand alone. Um, I, I that's not a complaint. I'm just saying it's it's weird to pick to single out Part Two when Part Two doesn't really stand alone. Mm-hmm. But um, we're discussing doing this as one for a reason. But let's kind of take this stuff in pieces. Um, First, I'd like to talk about Jellicoe a little bit. Um, so I know that the idea here was to bring in a guy, and I've heard Ron Moore talk about this, you know, part one it was Ron Moore more than anything else. Part two was about a Marco, and, um, well, I think Jerry Taylor did some uncredited rewrites. But at any rate, so much of Jellicoe and his personality is, is more. And more talked about he wanted to inter- the, he liked the idea of this of a captain that just had a different style um, now definitely he is rubbing the crew the wrong way and we love the crew so as the audience uh, you know we feel rubbed the wrong way I think it's natural to to um, not like him uh, I think he's a jerk <laughs> but <laughs> I know the goal and the hope was to present this this other leadership style and say it's not better or worse, it's just different, you know. And if you dislike him, then maybe that isn't fair. And I've I have always struggled with accepting that. And I still, I and for the first time ever, after watching these two episodes, I decided in answer to the question of is Jellicoe's leadership or command style legit, legitimate, just different. 
And I've decided, no, it isn't. <laughs> he is an arse the whole time. He's a jerk, you know? And it's not just a jerk. I mean, you could still be a a, a, a good leader and a jerk. They're not, you know, you could be both at the same time. But I think his leadership style is not legitimately um, equal, just different. I think it is inferior to Picard's. I think it's very clear that he does not listen to people. You know, I think it's very good. There's a reason Data is his perfect first officer. Mm-hmm. <laughs> you know? Mm-hmm. Just does what he says. Um, exactly. You know? And so, anyway, it's just a, it was a minor thing, but over all, all these years, I've heard more and I've read interviews with him so many times talk about this idea of it's, it's a legitimate command style, it's just different. Um, and this is the first time ever that I decided, defa- yeah, I decided, no, it isn't. This well, is an inferior yeah. command style. And, and uh, here I'll um, say, yeah. oh, go ahead. I'm sorry. Go ahead. No, no, you go, go first. Well, I, here I would say this. I agree, um, but I wonder if our perception is kind of uh, tainted with time here because we're 20 years, over 20 years removed from this episode. And as 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 someone who studied management in school and knows mm-hmm. kind of trends and leadership and this kind of thing we're in we're in an age now where we expect a um a much higher degree of uh listening you know on the part mm-hmm. of a leader of um of a leadership style that is not autocratic but uh more democratic more bringing in everybody's viewpoints and this kind of thing but that hasn't always been the case and i just wonder if 20 years ago if it wouldn't have but, seemed quite that extreme sure fine but why have we maybe started to change that way as a society well i, I assume I, it's because yeah. it's better you know I, I it's agree. not that i agree. I, I, do, I do agree that the buck has to stop somewhere and you do have to com- take command and you do have to make decisions and that doesn't mean you do you your people have to agree with you or whatever but i think a good leader trusts his people a good leader values their input and takes that input and makes a decision. He doesn't even take the input. Yeah, yeah. He he won't. He doesn't. He doesn't listen. You know, his first officer can stay behind, and and there's nobody around but a couple of them, and he can question him, and he still doesn't listen. You know, it does raise the point of what's the function of a first officer if the if the captain doesn't have pay any attention to their opinion on anything. If you don't need someone to sit there and repeat what you just said to give orders, you know, what's the story yeah, with that? Which so. is why for as much as I love data, I don't think he's uh the best first officer. Right, right. Um what were you gonna say my take on it was uh, like my take was on it that um the first, you know, the first ten minutes that he's in command, I didn't necessarily have a problem with him. Um, because you know you're making your changes, I kind of had a little bit more. The crew was more like up in the arms, but the more you go along, I, you realize that this man is not a confident man. Because I think Deanna, she says it. She says mm-hmm. it pretty bluntly. Um, you know, when Riker and her are coming out of the um, the first little meeting they have with the Cardassians there, and Riker says, "Oh, he's, I'll say this. He's sure of himself," and she's like, "No, he's not." And you get glimpses. You know, repeatedly watching the show over the years, you realize that this guy is very insecure 
and he micromanages and mm-hmm. you see that i mean I, I i can see that a lot you know just with you know people you work with in in various other forms of life but yeah i i feel like this guy is incredibly insecure and he's trying and you know he, he points it out he's trying to create a dominant position you know he spells it out when he talks about his tactics that he was going to take with the cardassians he wants to be the the dom- the alpha male and that's um that's kind of the total opposite of what um captain picard is he's a Picard's a, a diplomat. He he brings people together. Where this guy um, Jellico, he um, he rules more with uh, iron fist, with fear. And um, I think you know over the long haul of history, you can you can point to that 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 style of command or that style of leadership generally doesn't um, pan out well very long. And so I do think you, it's. That, I, mean, I do think it's entertaining. It's certainly mm-hmm. dramatic and entertaining and fun. You know, to throw our characters into this scenario. And I will go as far as to say that I think Riker was probably wrong the way that the one thing he did wrong was the very beginning when Jellico shows up and Jellico's like uh, four shifts instead of three, you know, and uh, Riker just doesn't do it. Yeah. He talks, apparently, he talks to the uh, department heads and then he comes back planning to tell, you know, maybe he got ambushed a little bit like he didn't tell him sooner. But regardless, what, the way Riker did that was, was wrong. You know, yeah. um, either he should have just made the change, let it play out, and then you know see how what mm-hmm. how, what the results were, and then have a conversation with the captain, or had a conversation with the captain much captain much much soon, sooner. But for the captain to to come up to him and say, you know, Delta ship should be coming online, he's like, oh, there is no Delta ship. You know, that was bad. So that's yeah. the one thing Riker did wrong. But <clears throat> it's, it's that's that's one. Minor thing, you know. My my turning point with Jellico was the um the conversation that he had with Picard in the, in the ready room when you know Picard was asking him to give people a chance and basically Jellico says, you know what, you're probably not going to be coming back, so <laughs> leave me alone. <laughs> here's, so here's um, that's what I was the odds. That's what he says. Yeah, I mean the that, odds. And then that theme carries out in um, part two where, you know, he's like, you know, Picard's not coming back. Just just get used to it. You know, and it goes against the whole kind of military mantra that you never leave a man behind. And so that's to me, that was where, um, well, obviously, in part one, where he has that conversation with Picard, that's where you kind of see what kind of he really is a, an a-hole. Um, he's not a, he's a jerk and he's very insecure and he's not a likable character. And by the way, this is nothing against Brian Cox. He plays a great 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 kind of like guy you don't Ronnie like he does you know he's played several over the years and he does ronnie, a fantastic ronnie. job about it ronnie you know ronnie yeah you said brian did i say brian cox yeah ronnie cox my bad that would be awesome though i would love to see brian cox <laughs> <laughs> captain of the enterprise <laughs> uh, would we want brian cox from x-men 2 or manhunter Hmm. <laughs> yeah, yeah. The animal lecture taking command of the Enterprise. Yeah. That would be neat. Um, hmm. Yeah. So, uh, yeah, Ronnie Cox is great. He, you know, it was, it was funny talking about both. Uh, what's uh, what's Warner's character? Madrid? Madrid. 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 Mm-hmm. Madrid. Talking about both Gol Madrid and Jellico. I remember that thing uh, Jeffrey Combs said at a Star Trek convention Steve and I went to a couple of years ago. You know, you don't play a bad guy. You play a guy with a different agenda. And, and in a way, that's, I think, both Madrid and Jellico 
I mean, certainly neither one of both of them think everything they're doing is best for everyone. You know, I don't think either one thinks that the uh, well, certainly neither one thinks they're evil or something, of course. But you know, like Jellic in Jellico's case, it's it's clear that he legitimately thinks Riker is a terrible first officer. You know? Yeah, mm-hmm. and I don't know if you listen to the to the uh, commentary on that. You know, on the special edition one or whatever but you know ronnie cox is still of that mindset i mean he legitimately thinks you know i don't think the guy is a bad guy i think he's a good leader just a different you know he believes that too and i you know i, I mean if the actor really believes that i mean really believes that you know it's going to come through mm-hmm. I, I i really enjoyed those scenes between Jellico and the Cardassians, uh, the the guy that kind of plays the leader of the Cardassians on the Enterprise, there, mm-hmm. he was fantastic. Oh my God, that smile was like six feet. You <laughs> <laughs> put his hands together and he would smile. That was an actor who's who we've seen on Next Gen before. I've asked questions about him before, so he's not in today's Six Degrees, but uh, he's he's certainly played many characters, and they're all they're all incredibly. Um, Wonderfully and playfully devious, you know, really fun stuff. Um, um, let's see, what else should we talk about before we get too much into good old part two? Um, you know, it's worth noting uh, this episode, these two episodes were the last ones to air before DS9 premiered about a month after these aired. Uh, maybe not quite that far, but it was definitely, you know, this was a December of 92, mm-hmm. right? Mm-hmm. And DS9 premieres in January of '93, so this is this episode actually talks about like some fun story stuff as far as the Cardassian withdrawal. Um, in fact, the scene there there are a couple scenes in Canon Command Part One that I don't particularly they're not bad, but they feel like feel like filler to me. Mm-hmm. Um, some of that stuff, some of the some of the stuff with. Uh, Crusher, Picard, and Worf going through the caves. I just feel like maybe there's just one too many, you know, like climbing that high cliff or whatever. Just mm-hmm. one too many times. There didn't seem to be much point in it. Mm-hmm. Um, the scene where Crusher, well, the, well, all three of them go uh, and secure transport from that Ferengi. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. That scene was, oh, that was originally I- supposed to be... Go ahead. I was gonna say I love the purple shirt on Worf. That just went so well. <laughs> <laughs> purple well I think that yeah, that, that was that was well. in in '92. That was in you know. There were tons of purple uh, in '92. Yeah, yeah. Uh, that was actually supposed to be Quark, but hmm. since they ended up because they shot this episode after Emissary was shot, but since they ended up airing episode later, that the last second yeah. they. They swapped it out. I think it may maybe it would have worked better if it had actually been Cork, but I can understand that's not how you want to introduce the character. Okay. Mm-hmm. Um, but that that whole scene just com- feels like complete filler to me. Even Beverly, like you know, doing what she did, talks <laughs> <laughs> or whatever. It, it, <laughs> it's always felt like filler and pointless. But I will say that I played my wife these episodes, and sitting next to me, she. She enjoyed that scene a great deal. It made huh. her laugh. So I guess I can't really knock it. Um, but anyway, uh, Chain of Command, I mean, originally, originally, before anything was written, it was going to just be one. It wasn't, you know, it was later when they wanted to save some money that they turned it into two parts. Maybe if I didn't know that, I wouldn't think some of this stuff feels like filler. But 
in a weird way, I don't mind. It's completely worth it. So that by the time you get to Change of Command Part 2, you spend the entire time pretty much, you know, with these two giants dueling. Um, uh, if, if anybody's been listening to us for a really long time, you'll remember how much I loved the first season episode of DS9, uh, Duet. You know, I just love... God, I just love putting these two incredible performers next to each other and letting them have at it. And I, and the older I get, the more that seems to be, you know, incredible performances, incredible writing like that. Uh, that seems to be what I love more and more. Mm-hmm. So when I was younger, it was pretty much the inner light. Darmok was, was up there too. But I think inner light was probably my favorite next-gen episode for years and years and years. It wasn't until... Probably around the time I met you, Caesar. Sometime in college, I think, when Chain of Command Part Two kind of became my favorite Next Gen episode. So you know, as I as I get older, that stuff becomes far more interesting to me, and maybe that's why you know DS Nine uh, became my favorite Star Trek show uh, is because it seemed there's a little bit more of that maybe. <laughs> So, you know, and even then I'll say DS9 is my favorite show, but you watch Patrick Stewart in Chain of Command Part 2. And David Warner is incredible, too. Don't get me wrong. We'll talk about him. But you watch Patrick Stewart in Chain of Command Part 2. I'm not sure there's a better single performance from anyone in Star Trek ever. Mm-hmm. I'd go that far. Yeah, I can see that. I I I I'm completely sold. I totally believe him. You know. Um, for 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 two decades, I've, I've been walking around saying there are four lights. <laughs> yeah. So. Um. Oh, I. I Troy in a uniform? Are we okay with that? <laughs> yeah, that was our first um, uniform change. Yeah, <laughs> yeah change. That, is, that's is that the first time she wears the. Um, this is the first time she actually wears the um, Starfleet uniform, right? You're right. You're right. Yeah. Yeah, and she's gonna do it more. That was my non sequitur. Yeah, I mean, you know, what can you say? So, part two. Um, David Warner, I always remember him too. My favorite thing I think from him, besides of course Tron, which I'm still nuts for Tron, but uh, Nick Meyer. You guys remember the Nick Meyer movie that he was Jack the Ripper? Mm, I, I guess don't I've think seen I that. Recall that one. Oh, it's it's a uh, time after time. I think it was '79. Malcolm McDowell plays H.G. Wells, and David Warner plays Jack the Ripper, and. He steals H.G. Wells' time machine, goes forward and up till, uh, to around 1980, where you know, the, you know, where the movie's actually taking place. Uh, and H.G. Uh, Wells follows him into the future, and you know, of course, the Ripper is killing women, and then targets Mary Steenburgen, I think, is the the woman that Malcolm McDowell, H.G. Wells, falls in love with, and it's it's a it's a wonderful hmm. movie. And really cool time machine and time machine effects, but uh, that's always been my favorite. I think David's performance. Um, but 
I bring it up mostly because that was Nick Meyer and that because of that movie, uh, you know, Nick Meyer wrote and directed that. And because of that movie, you know, the next thing he did was uh, Star Trek Two. Hmm. He was in Time Bandits too, right, David Warner? Oh yeah, yeah. He was he scared the crap out of me when I was a kid. It's from Time Bandits. Yeah, definitely. It's been so long. I need um, to see that movie. It's been so long. Terry Gilliam. Mm-hmm. I wonder if any, like, predominantly our listeners over the years as they have emailed us and actually communicated with us, they have, it seems like they're all so much younger than we are. So anytime we bring up these like 70s or even 80s movies, my first thought is they have never heard of these movies. That's okay. <laughs> That's, I'm not, that is not, that, that is more me um, in a melancholy way saying how shockingly old the three of us are. I'm not not <laughs> our listeners. Our listeners, I'm not knocking you for not knowing these m- movies. That's not what I'm saying. What I'm saying it? we are old farts. That's what I'm saying. Yeah. Hey, I was only three when Time After Time came out. Or, you know, I don't. I did. I don't remember it from the time. <laughs> <laughs> okay. Um. You know, I don't even. Hmm. Let's talk. Let's talk about torture. Do you guys remember? Um, do you guys remember this movie at the t- this Chain of Command Part Two? This episode at the time was it? You know, did it did it make you uncomfortable? Did it seem like oh my god, I can't believe they've gone this far? Or is I, that I, not the case at all? Is it not? Is doesn't not do anything now? I don't know. I I remember as far it, as I don't controversy. I, yeah, I remember it, but I don't recall thinking it was too far. I certainly remember it being intense and powerful um but i didn't think it was crossing some kind of line i mean i thought i I certainly i cannot imagine shatner as kirk in the original series doing a scene strung up stripped naked no 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 not at all i mean only if he's doing something heroic and flexing or something you know (laughs) (laughs) Um, I couldn't help but thinking, um, what, I don't know if either of you have seen Zero Dark Thirty, but I'm just like thinking that going back and forth with that movie, that the torture that went on in this movie. And it's not really that different, you know, the torture that went on in that movie as to what went on in um, Chain of Command, or this this episode. Yeah, I mean, um, yeah, you can't get a whole, I mean, a lot of it's just in the performance, of course, you know, because you're not seeing some act where someone's actually doing something to somebody that we could recognize as being painful but um you know it is certainly intense his reaction and and all the time madrid is so cool and collected then that twisted scene with the the daughter in there and stuff so you get some mind games mm-hmm. going too i mean it's 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 messed up well the, the the weird thing about watching this episode this last time and i guess maybe i don't know if i realized it years ago but it's i you know once they you know drugged him and got all that information it just seemed like it was more of a sick twisted game mm-hmm. that he was playing he wasn't trying to get he was just trying to break him it was more oh, yeah. like an ego thing oh, yeah. so it wasn't like he was really trying to get anything information from him he was just a it was a sick twisted game and I'm that kind of was that hit home with me more this time watching it. And I was like, hey, this guy is really twisted. He's not trying to really get anything from Ricard. He's just trying to break him. He's trying to be dominant. And, you know, we talked about Jellico earlier and that's kind of, maybe that's how Jellico trying to be dominant. It's just all about being the dominant male right. from those two characters. Well, you know, historically, 
especially yeah, like that that you're right. That scene with the with the kid is very twisted. But you got to imagine the, the, they're in this society that's uh, you know that at least he believes the military saved. Okay, um, and my guess is they're all raised that same way to you know uh, make their enemies inhuman or whatever the alien equivalent to that term is. Mm-hmm. Um, and it's not that far removed from the way we are today, or certainly the way we are. You know, you look look at look at some of the uh, the posters depicting in the United States from the 30s and 40s depicting the Japanese and the Germans. Oh yeah. You know, they 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 completely paint them as not as inhuman. Um, you know, not even equal enemies like there's these animals right? yeah yeah um and that's exactly what's going on here but my point in bringing that up is is i think he i think he i think a part of him believes it mm-hmm. you know it's not just for show for he his daughter isn't there some just to humiliate picard i think he thinks he's teaching his daughter something yeah you know yeah but that's it. It was funny you mentioned that the the you know the little conversation after his daughter leaves. It's kind of my, it's actually my kind of my favorite scene. You know, because Picard instead of Picard lashing out, he's like, "Your daughter's lovely," and then they kind of have that little conversation. And Picard, my favorite line, Picard. You know, he says, "Her belly may be full, but her soul will be empty, or her spirit will be empty." That mm-hmm. that was the first turning point uh, between the two of them, where he finally got to um, got to him. Yeah, it's not long after that that uh, mm-hmm. Madrid uh, calls him Picard, and um, the, yeah, that that whole sequence is interesting. I mean, they they literally discuss torture. Um, mm-hmm. You know, Picard brings it up as you must be enjoying this because everybody knows torture is ineffective. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, and that's those are the kind of things too that, like you were just saying about. Like I say, comparing it to Zero Dark Thirty and stuff that's more modern, there is almost this this sense of, well, we're justified because because this this and this, you know, um, and that's kind of where the interesting question is: is is there any justification for it? it can there be? I I don't know. You know, well, I think that's still a question we wrestle with even to this day, especially in this country. Well, it, you know, this this episode is twenty years old, and it's it's still a, it still does a more interesting job of of talking about it and why it why it's done. I think that's that's more than anything. That's the heart of this. Mm-hmm. I mean, like you said, they're they're not really trying to. He's not really trying to get information. He's just trying to break him. Um, it it asks more interesting question about that than even most a lot of modern media that I can think of. I saw one person online comparing it to, um, you know, J.J.'s first Star Trek movie that has a brief section of torture, you know, with Pike and stuff. And that was drivel compared to this. Mm -hmm. You know, I mean, this has an entire hour to talk about it, but... Mm. I don't know, though. I think if it was me... I'd be sitting there, and he'd be like, "This is going to hurt you a lot." 
All you gotta do is say there, say there are five lights. I'd be like one, two, three, four, five. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Great. Can I? What? Can I just sit here for a minute and rest now? Yeah. Beep, whatever. <laughs> yeah. yeah. It's a number. Give me, one of, give me one of those. Another one of those. Those eggs. Yep. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> What was funny, I was watching that, you know, he's like, what, what, I can't remember what the name of the eggs were, but he's like, have try some boiled eggs, <laughs> and they're, they're like alive in there. I'm like, oh, damn, these are some tough little birds. It's <laughs> 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 those little things that, you know, they didn't catch. What was that line he had about? Oh, yeah, thirsty? I would imagine so. <laughs> <laughs> oh my god! Hanging after hanging there. Mm-hmm. Uh, Steve, what's your favorite scene? Oh gosh! I don't know. Probably, if I had to choose one, it would be that exchange that we were alluding to earlier, where they're discussing torture and. Madrid is becoming to get aggravated and, you know, calls him Picard and, you know, he's, Picard's getting getting at him finally and that kind of thing. I think I think that exchange, if I had to choose one. Adam? Yeah, I think uh, I'm, I like the first exchange when, with his daughter, that whole scene, you know, daughter and thereafter. Um, obviously, um, the one where, the scene where Madrid is talking about um, when his arm was broken by a by an older boy for the egg, that was a good scene because Picard gets to take the upper hand there um, psychologically on him. You know, he looks at him, he's like, "I'm, I'm gonna. When I look at you, I'm not gonna see some strong, powerful man. I'm gonna see a mm-hmm. scared, mm-hmm. weak little boy with a broken arm." Yeah, despite all you've that's done, like, I find you a pitiable man. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that, that that's that's certainly up there for me. But I think. I think the scene that I always that stuck with me the most actually isn't any of that. It's it's that very last scene. It's when Picard gets his ship back, and the first thing he does is and he goes and he sits down uh, in his ready room, and, and Troy comes in there. And apparently, there's been a fair amount of time here. He's in a little bit better shape. Mm-hmm. We know he's written a report, and Troy has read it. But when he tells her that he believed that he could see, in fact, five lights, mm-hmm. that that was always the most memorable thing to me, and it, and it puts just a little you know, um, kind of bow on this, on this episode and everything that it's about. Um, and everything about all the questions about the, the point of torture, you know, this did essentially break him. He would have told him anything. He said he would have, he, anything just because some people came in just in time that he didn't actually have to say the words. And, mm-hmm. um, hmm um, Madrid, he, you know, he denied Madrid that satisfaction. Doesn't change the fact that, for basically no reason, he was broken. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. You know, uh, I have a feeling that there's no one else short of maybe Worf on the Enterprise that would have lasted as long as Picard did. Mm-hmm. You know, we've seen. I mean, uh, he killed tens of thousands of people <laughs> as Locutus and he had to live with that pain and we saw what that did to him and again I don't think most people could have pulled that off mm-hmm. um, we saw O'Brien seriously contemplate maybe even try to kill himself over less um, so 
it's a it's a fantastic episode. It's an episode that works because of the performances. It's something that could only be done later. You know, mm-hmm. duet the first season in DS Nine. It's almost it's almost a fluke. It's all, it's almost a fluke that it works so well because, but but the reason they pull it off is because. In a way, it wasn't produced as a first season episode because we had all these people coming from Next Gen to do it, who had been mm-hmm. doing this for a while, you know. But like, Chain of Command Part Two is something that I think the writers had to really know the performers well. They had to know what 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 Stewart was not just capable of performing, but what the character should do in this incredible. Um, level with this incredible level of stress anyway i think this is still my favorite episode it's it's odd like i said because it's it does not stand up by itself it has to have you know that's another thing too if this were a modern tv show this would not have been called chain of command part two right <laughs> yeah yeah that would have just well, been yeah, that's, that's that's just what it is and every episode would have bled into the next like this you know mm-hmm. that that you know um, and in a way, that, that's more of what this is. Since part one is so different from part two, that's more what this feels like than an actual part one and part yeah, two. Yeah. You know? Um, so, Steve, you watched it. Uh, you got the uh, standalone disc and watched it that way? No, I did watch them in two parts. I, whenever I do that, I watch the commentaries on those discs, but I don't. I watch them as they aired, though. I watch them in two parts, generally speaking. Well, with the commentary, did it seem. I mean, you could still kind of see what was going on back there. Did it feel? Because I haven't watched it. I've I've only watched it as the two parters, two parts too. I was just wondering if it, if it kind of works or because I as I remember saying, um, best of both worlds. I thought it kind of broke it, mm-hmm. put it together. I I think it, I think it works better than best of both worlds in that regard. Um, but I think I do think there's kind of that shift. But I mean, that's not completely unusual. There are there are films that have a shift in terms of the focus of them mm-hmm. in the latter half. And so it felt kind of like that, you know, we're okay. We're going over here, you know, so it's a little unusual, you know, as, as a full length thing, but, uh, I, I don't think it's as abrupt or as the, as the issue is with the best of both worlds. Would you have preferred they stayed consistent with what they did for the other seasons and do, uh, descent? One and two as is the standalone instead of chain of command. Um, not necessarily, and and it's not, and it hasn't always been that way either. Because like you know, they did unification in the past season too, which wasn't oh, that's right. the, yeah, the cliffhanger right. either. So I think I think they do a fair job of you know picking an episode that works well to to give us some extras on a little bit of a, a little bit more uh, documentary stuff, the commentary and that kind of thing. You know, so yeah, this this would certainly be preferable to seeing that with descent. I would think. Cool. Um, so I mean, I think we've talked about what this episode is about as we've gone along. Oh yeah, the effectiveness and purpose, or you know, of torture, um, what it does to the people that go through it. And and as you alluded, that notion of and and as Adam mentioned too, that notion of dominance playing a role too here because we see that in the other half a little bit too. You know, perhaps to the extent of dominance for the sake of dominating. You know, just just doing mm-hmm. something just because that's that's the whole point. And so often we mask that in other things. In this case, it's it's torture to get information. On the other half, it's the I'm justified because I'm in command. You know, but. Yeah. Well, it, it 
that, and then also we talked about earlier the um, that they believe they're doing the right things. There's mm-hmm. there are so many interesting parallels between Jellico and Madrid, especially Jellico in part one. Mm-hmm. You know, um, but I think that's that's what holds them up together as a two-parter is these really strong actors, Warner and Cox, uh, and the similarities between those those characters they're playing and how um, Jellico dominates episode one and Madrid dominates episode two. It's, it's very interesting. Mm-hmm. Okay, let's move on to Six Degrees for Chain of Command. Um, Steve. Mm-hmm. David Warner plays Gold Madrid, the Cardassian that apparently needs glasses because he's sure there are five lights. <laughs> <laughs> only Steve. Steve's the only one. All of our listeners. Steve's the only one who thinks my six degrees jokes are funny. <laughs> <laughs> In Star Trek V, The Final Frontier, he played Federation Representative St. John Talbot. Name the planet on which he served. You can either give me the actual name or the name that it was commonly known as. Okay. Oh, gosh. I'm blanking. I don't know. Mr. Caesar? Well, I know it's not Shakari, because that's the plan at the end. Um. <laughs> You're correct. Shakari is where they were going, so that's not the plan we're looking for. Um... Title is four. I don't know. Nimbus three. Okay. Or, and this is the one I thought maybe somebody remember, the planet of galactic peace. Mm, okay. Mm-hmm. Right. Right. Uh, Adam. In yeah. Star Trek six, Warner played the chancellor of the Klingon High Council. He didn't last long past dinner. What was his name? Um, chancellor Gorkron or? Gorkron? That's close enough. Gorkon. Gorkon. One nothing moving on. Ship in a Bottle, Season 6, Episode 12, Production Number 238, Original Air Date, January 24th, 1993. Directed by Alexander Singer, written by Rene Echeverria, music composed by Dennis McCarthy. Guest cast include Dwight Schultz as Reginald Barkley, Daniel Davis as James Moriarty, Clement Von Frankenstein as Gentleman, and Stephanie Beecham as Regina Bartholomew. While enjoying a Sherlock Holmes mystery fantasy on the holodeck, Geordi and Data request that Barclay investigate some anomalies in the program. While doing so, Professor Moriarty appears and informs Barclay that the computer system has created him so well that he has come alive. According to Moriarty, Picard has held him in the computer memory banks for over four years and forgotten all about him. Captain, I have determined how Moriarty was able to leave the holodeck. He never did. Neither did we. None of this is real. It is a simulation. We are still on the holodeck. Ship in a bottle. I gotta say right off the bat, <laughs> you know my favorite thing in this episode is? Mm. And, I, and I like this episode. Over the years, I've this is one of those episodes that I've just put on every now and then. Or if it was on TV, I would stop and watch. I've, I've always really enjoyed it. I always think it's really fun. I like Moriarty. Um, I think it's better than the previous one. Um, but my favorite thing in this episode that makes me laugh 
<laughs> so consistently, even if it's just a chuckle. <laughs> it's just that that beautiful blank stare LaForge has whenever uh, Data reveals that they're actually still in the holodeck and only yeah. he and Picard are real. And, and LaForge is just sitting there, like, looking very intently, like he's really listening, you know? Right. But just say anything. <laughs> <laughs> and then it's like all kind of awkward near the end of that sequence because Picard's like trying to you know, excuse us. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Get the hell out of here! I mean, you know, don't you like? I mean, if you really thought it was him for sure, I mean, in reality, when he like smacked him or something, you know, just done something entertaining when she's like, oh, he's just oh, okay, and then just like kick him in the gut or something, you know, whatever. Yeah, take his shoes off and throw him down the hall. <laughs> Yeah, really sinister. Yeah, no, uh, but yeah, I like this episode. I think, uh, I think, um, what's his name? Daniel Davis. I think he's he does a fantastic Moriarty. Uh, he's from Arkansas. He's like a really big Southern drawl. So that's that's a nice, very good fake British accent he's got there. Um, Adam, let me start us on this episode. Yes. Um, yeah, I mean, I think it's kind of interesting that they come back to um, this episode after four years. Um, I can't, right off the top of my head, I can't recall any other um, series really doing that. I mean, that's usually you have a sequel pretty much right right thereafter. Um, the first one was fun. This one was fun. Um, I, um, I don't know if I liked it as much as, as you did, but I, I definitely didn't dislike it. It's, it's a fun episode. It's, they go through their little trials with Moriarty. Um, it's fun always seeing Barkley, having Barkley in this. I like his, I liked his interactions with the Countess, right? So that's what she was a mm-hmm. Countess, or yeah, um, yes. those were kind of fun, and to see Barkley flirt with her a little bit. Um, and I thought she did a pretty good job on playing the part. Of I like, a, I love Moriarty and and Barkley. I think having those two together is fantastic, um, worth the episode alone. But uh. I like the Countess a lot, and I love the scene between her and Picard. Mm-hmm. Even though she's a hologram, it's so clear, like, immediately. We all love Picard, uh, but mm-hmm. he's um, he's a very particular man, and it's rare <laughs> to put a woman in front of him that you, that you can see. This is his kind of girl. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Uh-huh. You know, even, like, Vash, I remember that was a bit of a stretch, but here... He is so immediately taken with her. Yeah. <laughs> yes. I can see you are a woman of what do you say? Charm and sagacity or something. I don't remember. <laughs> and, and breed, you know. Well, I loved, yeah, he said breeding too. Yeah. Yeah, <laughs> breeding. breeding. <laughs> you know what it felt like? It felt like it felt like a scene where uh, James Bond is trying to seduce a classy yeah, woman. Yeah. You know? It was uh-huh. it was great. It was fantastic. It's a very short scene, but it's more than just a couple of lines. He doesn't just immediately, you know. Uh, can you convince Moriarty to do this? He knows this is Moriarty's girl, and he's still like full on, you know, classy flirting with her. And it lasts for uh, several minutes, I think. Um, so that's oddly, even though it's 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 less to do with the episode in a way, or less about the main characters that really you pair up in this episode, or the ones you think of of as pairing up from this episode. It's probably my, my favorite episode, uh, scene in the episode, just because it's so much fun. Um, so yeah, I love the Countess and Picard, but uh, Moretti and, and Barkley, that's just genius putting them together from the very beginning. Um, really nice. Steve, what are some um, of your I, first thoughts on... Oh, go ahead, Caesar. I was going to say, I, I 
I, the one thing that I really remembered about this episode when I first, I like the, I know I was a little jumping the gun here. I like the end scene where, you know, they're all, you know, they basically, they put Moriarty and the countess in this mm-hmm. little um, computer box and they can live out all sorts of crazy adventures in that thing. And, you know, Picard's like, Oh, we might be in a box too. I just remember that, you know, the, you know, what is the universe? I, I remember that initially way it's back the, when, when I the, saw it the first time, the men in black ending. <laughs> yeah, pretty much. It's, I was wondering, Steve, you're always my go-to guy, even though I, I know this would be a while back, but did they ever pick up Moriarty, like, in the books or anything? Did we ever mm. find it? Did we ever get any stories of him from that, from I, the uh, simulator, from Bark, sitting on Barkley's desk or anything like that? I don't recall, at least not anything I read, no. Hmm. Yeah. That's too bad. Yeah. Cool. Um, but, yeah, I, I enjoyed this a lot, and... Uh, you know, it's, at the very beginning, I, I couldn't help but think, why didn't someone, like, wouldn't you put a note on this program or something? I mean, if anyone could walk in and, like, start it up or something, and then you have the risk of him, and he's sentient, and everyone knows it. <laughs> you know, maybe they should put some kind of little warning on that one or whatever. Oh, Barkley, you activated the sentient holocron again. Gosh darn it. What about, oh, go ahead. No, I, I don't have much else. I I, I agree with all this. What about the whole gag with the, you know, we're still really on the holodeck? Um, this is going to be done a couple, several more times. In my opinion, most effectively, probably projections. First, was that first season or early second season, Voyager? I forget. Oh, right. It's either late first or early second. Yeah. Um, I always really, really loved that one. Um, but do you guys remember, I mean, at the time, do you remember... Like, Figuring it out before it happened. Oh, they're still in the holodeck. What, what, let me rephrase. When you saw Morarity walk out of that holodeck, what did you think was happening? I mean, it, it's wonderful that it turns out to be that they're still on the holodeck because, in fact, that's really the only freaking explanation that could possibly make any sense mm-hmm, mm-hmm. when they're sitting in the in ten forward and he's telling Picard he wants the Countess, you know, brought out from the holodeck, and he's like, "We don't even know how you got out," you know, and I'm like. Yeah, that's nuts. Come on. But we should all just be sitting, Picard and his entire crew should just be sitting there saying, no, this is nuts. We're not doing anything. That's what they should do. Um, so it turns out that there actually is an entirely plausible explanation. Um, but do you remember? Like, Or even now, Like, what do you think? I, I don't remember that at the time I had figured it out. I think I just kind of rolled with it. That, you know, it's like, huh, something unusual is happening here, and was, you know, I don't remember just immediately thinking, oh, they're still in the holiday, it's all the groove or something. I don't, I don't remember that. But it works, right? I mean, you're still, mm-hmm. yeah. You know, I'm, I, I don't think they give it away. Um, I was reading online, some people pointed out that they don't do their usual uh, cuts to the exterior of the ship, you know, when they're moving around, mm-hmm. um, so like between scenes, so they avoid doing that. Uh, but I don't think it gives it away. I don't think they give it away. I don't think so, no. So it still works for me. Yeah. Caesar? Yeah, I mean, it's it, it's hard for me to remember what I, with that particular, if I remember way back when. I mean, you know, it's obviously, after <clears throat> the first time you see it, it's, it's, it you're not going to be surprised. Um, I did kind of think that Picard was a little bit gullible. And they made him a little bit gullible in this whole thing. You know, even I, I, the reason I say that, it, like right after he gave away his command codes, you alluded to that conversation with Jordy's like, oh, oh, Data, I just kind of gave away all the things <laughs> to the to the ship. 
yeah, it would have been a little bit more convenient if Data had walked up about mm, ten seconds sooner to tell him before you know he gave away all the command codes. Uh, but uh, well, say Levy. Next time. Well, yeah, yeah. The reason that's ended right. because Data. all the thing, all the things that Moriarty did in the first episode, they just kind of seemed like eh, just kind of going along with things that in this episode, but it, it wasn't a big deal. Hmm. Well. Um, does this episode, is it about anything? I think there's like some metaphysics kind of questions going on here. You know, I mean, anytime you have this whole, what is life, you know, what is the holographic life? I mean, this is still relatively early in this whole, um, exploration of holographic life forms, sentient holographic life forms, which of course are explored further on in the other Trek series, uh, more so, but um, I think that's interesting, and uh, you know that whole kind of notion of you know what is what is reality even you know it's it's fun to say things like oh what if we're just a big illusion but you know that those kind those kind of questions I, I think it, it it explores those a little bit maybe you know well I mean, most of the episode is is the mystery you know and then it takes a little bit of a turn when. Uh, Moriarty takes over the ship, but even then, it's still a mystery. Like, you need to figure out how to get something off the holodeck, you know, mm-hmm. before or after. It's because Moriarty is holding the ship hostage. It's still the same kind of thing. So most of it has that kind of that that kind of feel to it. You know, I like the investigative stuff. I like mm-hmm. I like Barkley. I mean, it's kind of absurd, but Barkley putting those uh, pattern enhancers in the, in the holodeck. Mm-hmm. I mean, it doesn't work, but um, <laughs> I like that. Uh, but I, I, you know, that scene we talked about where Data comes up and says, "I've determined how Moriarty got off the holodeck." He never did. How did you figure this out? Deduction. You know, I'm Sherlock Holmes, jerk. <laughs> but yeah, I, I think I would have maybe the one thing. I don't, I don't, I don't lament it because I like these episodes so much. But I do like seeing Data as, as Holmes enough that I would have liked to have seen him as Holmes even more than the opening scene. It's a nice little bit there where, you know, the, where he fails, his deduction fails because the guy's actually right-handed or whatever. And, you know, that little callback with uh, Jordy later. But anyway, um, Caesar, uh, what do you got for what it's about? Um, I kind of agree with Steve. You know, it it, <clears throat> it returns to the themes of the the first episode, where it's like kind of like, what is life? Um, how do you define it? How is it, um, you know, you know, defined? And you know, and the, what's kind of fun about these episodes, um, it's kind of like a, a precursor for um, the Doctor and Voyager. You know, we're going to get to see a lot more the holographic. What is life? You know, and we've seen these themes a little bit throughout um, Next Gen. I don't think, and it's it, they're fun to see, and it's fun to kind of explore. You know, and it's it's a fun avenue. It's a it's a, more than a fun avenue. It's an interesting avenue that uh, these shows take because they have this holodeck where they can explore these things. You know, um, you know, artificial intelligent life. You know, um, that's kind of what the questions that they're asking here. Can art? Can we create artificially intelligent life? You know, and obviously we we see that through data, and we see that through the different holodeck characters um, throughout um, many series in Star Trek. So, 
I think this episode is kind of also asking, if we do so, what responsibility do we have to it? Mm-hmm. I think that's kind of an True. interesting question, too. Um, he was left in there for four years. Yeah. Picard says, you know, we hey, we were doing things. The people that watched Star Trek The Next Generation didn't know it, but we were doing things. <laughs> um, it seems like they would have at least transferred his program to, like, some scientific lab to study him and talk to him but still. Yeah. <laughs> hmm. so uh, should have just, just went down there and been like he, he should have just went down there to the holiday and be like yeah my bad I forgot about you yeah <laughs> 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 uh, uh, I was I was gonna do it and then I had laundry and I had a haircut oh, God, it got turned into a Borg, you know. A few things were going on. <laughs> Some other planet in my head, you know, just craziness, you know. I just yeah. <laughs> Let's just be friends. All these lights and stuff. <laughs> um, all right, I think we've covered this one. So I, I think this one holds up. I think it's fun. I think it has something to say, but more than that, you know. It is, doesn't have the best, the greatest message ever. It doesn't attempt to discuss it in maybe in the best ever, but it definitely has a question it's asking, and I, I find it very entertaining. And it's a, it's just something about it. It's one of those episodes that's like quintessential later next gen standalone. I could watch it any time. Mm-hmm. All right, six degrees for shipping a bottle. I believe Adam has one. Mm-hmm. Uh, Steve, are you going first or second? I'll go first. Daniel Davis returns as Moriarty, the evil genius that just wants to go on holiday with his girl. He previously played the character in Next Gen's second season, named the episode... Mm-hmm. <laughs> well, I'm getting kind of mixed up. There's several of those early on replays where Data's homes and all of that stuff. Um... Is it like elementary, my dear data? Was that Close enough. One? Elementary, dear data. Okay. All right, one-to-one. Adam, this is for the win. In the 1990 film, The Hunt for Red October, Davis played the commander of what U.S. aircraft carrier? Enterprise. Yep. <laughs> <laughs> awesome. All right. Um, Adam. Yes. Oh, oh yeah, we're going to show you went to this was it this past weekend or weekend before last. So yeah, I got to cover the um Chicago Wizard World Comic Con this um, it was about a week ago, week and a half ago, and um the really cool part about it is they had all the um original cast from Next Gen there. Um unfortunately, I only got to talk to Marina Spirits and I kind of found out why after the interview, I'll go into that a little bit more, but she was really cool to talk to. Um I talked to her for like 7 or 8 minutes. Um we're going to play the interview um, later on in the year. We'll put the whole thing up. Um, there wasn't, you know, there's nothing really new that came out of the interview. It was just a lot of fun to talk to her. The, the, the best part about the interview, she, you know, we talked about um, the movie Generations and how she crashed the ship. And I told her just to blame the guy behind her. And, you know, Franks was behind her. And she said, you know what, I, I think we'll put it on him. So that was kind of fun. Um, <laughs> She, um, the cool part about the interview when we were, we were all done is like, she actually, she thanked me for knowing what the hell I was talking about. I think those were exact words, which kind of took me by surprise. So, (laughs) um, 
<laughs> apparently, um, when they do, she was telling me like when they do a lot of these interviews, people come up there and they don't even know who they are. And I'm like, well, why would you come up and interview somebody you don't know they are? And so, I think that's why um, none of the other cast members would actually talk to me because I really wanted to talk to Jonathan Franks or Lavar Burton because I wanted to talk to them about the the directing and the production side of things. But the, um, unfortunately, neither was interested. I think um, if they had hung around a little bit longer, um, maybe we could have gotten some more interviews. But um, Marina was really cool. We talked about um, she talked about how she is incredibly different from um, Counselor Troy. She's like the exact opposite. She said when she went in to do the audition, um, she was extremely exhausted um, for some reason. And so on the Marina side didn't come out, so that probably helped her um, land the role of um, Counselor mm. Troy. Um, another thing she says there, I mean, unlike um, the original cast, I mean, I'm sure most of you all know this out there, they said they're all the best of friends. Um, I'm, she said they see each other several times a year. They're, they're really like family. Um, she says it's unfortunate they don't get to see Patrick as much because he's in New York and and um london quite a bit and um but like i said it was it was really really fun getting to talk to them i i did get to see um lavar burton and brent spiner i got to see their um their little show um the nice thing about media passes is um i don't have to wait in line and i get to sit in the front row and i don't get to sit in the reserve seat so i was just um just center right of front roll and that was a that was a lot of fun um i'd never seen i've seen them both separately i've never seen them together i don't know if either of you have seen them together but one of the things that that kind of caught they talked about um the nod they said you know and i've already started watching for this that that uh, throughout the series and the movies that they just look each look at each other and just give a little nod and i give you an example they do it in the um the last movie right before Data um, jumps out of the Enterprise, just that little nod, and um, literally they said they do, they did it a thousand, thousands of times throughout the series. <laughs> you should start watching for it. I don't know if uh, you heard that story with the mm, two of them. I have, mm, no, I have not. Yeah, it was just their little inside joke that they had between the two of them on the on the show and the movies. So now now I'm starting to watch for it. I didn't see it in the last couple episodes, but something to watch out for. Um, Back to Marina. Marina said she um, she really enjoyed. This was a common thing. Lavar said this. Marina said this. Um, I didn't get a response from um, Brent, but they said they really enjoyed the new Star Trek movies. They said they were great. They're happy that it's keeping Star Trek going. Obviously, it's good for them. They said the one thing that they felt that it lacked it um, it they didn't feel or see any Gene Roddenberry in any of the new movies, and that's kind of what they. That's kind of what they lamented about, but they said they really enjoyed the movies and thought they felt they were very entertaining. Um, so yeah, it was a lot of fun. I hope I hope they I hope they keep coming through town. Maybe I can talk to more of them throughout the years. Um, the fans were great out there. We talked to a lot of different Star Trek fans. There was um, <laughs> there was a couple dressed up from the original series, um, the Mirror Mirror um, mm-hmm. um, uniforms. They were they were <laughs> really really cool. Um, I didn't even get to see Patrick Stewart. I mean, he was like mobbed all around. Um, mm. I didn't even see him. Um, I did see Shatner. He looked well. Um, and unfortunately, I didn't get to go to the event where Shatner was um, doing a... Um, he was hosting the whole Next Gen cast. He was um, going to be the MCs, but I didn't get to make it over there for that. Mm. Well, cool. It sounds like, uh, sounds like you had a good time. A lot of people had a good time. and mm-hmm. it's, it's, it's nice to see... It's nice. It's nice that that cast is still, you know, so close and friends and stuff. You know, yeah. 
because it, it, it's more fun for the fans that way too. And, oh yeah, you know we've all seen the original. Wasn't like that. So yeah, we we cool. probably talked for several minutes after the camera was turned off. So she was she was totally cool and awesome. Um, I can't thank her enough. I told her we do a podcast, but she didn't ask which podcast. <laughs> um, but yeah, it was totally cool. Um, cool. Uh, when you when you guys see the interview, um, my camera guy cut it off right at the end. But um, Brent's the day I saw Brent's. I saw Brent the day before, and he um, somebody wanted to shake hands with him, and he went into this whole spiel, this whole you know how he doesn't shake hands. It was almost um, Howard Hughes esque. And so then, you know, when Marino and I were done with the interview, I just went to bump fist with her, and she looked at me. She's like, "I'm not a crazy person. I shake hands." So I, <laughs> so I wonder if she knows about Brent's. Um, yeah, doesn't sure. like it. <laughs> I get a little laugh about it, but it cuts off right right when she says, "I'm not a crazy person." So that was fun. Uh, we had some breaking news earlier, right as we were starting to record it. All right, I'm going to insert that right here. Breaking news. Star Trek The Next Generation Blu-ray Season 7 will be released in the U.S. on December 2nd, 2014. I've been re- checking every single day to try and find out the last, you know, when they're going to... Oh, And all good uh, things will be the special release thing or whatever with new commentaries. December 2nd. Darn it. Found it? <laughs> yes. TrekCore's got it. TrekCore says December 2nd, and that means we are going to be, I believe, one week shy. <laughs> yep. Not even that. We're going to be, <laughs> we're going to run out of it Blu-ray episodes to talk about one, two, three, four, five days before it comes out. <laughs> well, either you know we do something we extraordinary do? or we just watch standard definition for the first week or something i think we should just uh we'll just what if we just delay it because that episode's supposed to come out on thanksgiving anyway who's gonna listen to us we're, we're awesome but turkey's better so <laughs> who's gonna listen to thanksgiving i think we should just plan to delay that the start of season seven one week and this is assuming i did my math right and that that's the, the 27th just call it a, thing, a, a three week or delay because of thanksgiving or something yeah yeah right it makes sense. There you go. Yeah, that's what we should do. Assuming this date actually holds, season six we ended up getting delayed. Remember, it was supposed to be out like the last of the, near the end of June. I think they delayed it a week or two. Uh uh-huh. July. Yeah, you're right. So, so we uh, could just. Uh, the- you know, it'll be kind of fun though because then we can kind of like, you know, it's it's out. You know, now or I mean, uh, just two days. Yeah, it'll right. be the first time we're like listening to it or you know. Mm-hmm. Doing it. Of course, for us, that means we have to watch uh, three episodes the day within 24 hours of it coming out so that we can actually yeah. do our podcast. But anyway, <laughs> cool. Oh, and there's a trailer for uh, an HD trailer for All Good Things. They even got the packaging. Sweet. Mm-hmm. All right. Look at that. Breaking news. Okay, we're back from the breaking news. Um, all right. So uh, thank you all for joining us, spending an hour with us. Uh, we're going to be back in a couple of weeks. We're going to have a guest. Um, looking forward to that. A guest is going to be joining us to talk about tapestry and some other things. Definitely excited to talk tapestry. Um, so thanks again. And uh, till next time, take it easy. Oh, wait, wait, wait. No, I'm not going to redo that bit. So thanks again. Hey, and uh, Sorry, go that? ahead. What? Go ahead. Go ahead. Sorry, I oh. messed you up. That's okay. 
So thanks again, and uh, you can follow us on Facebook. That's facebook.com slash Trek Companion. Our Twitter handle is at uh, Trek Companion. You can send us an email, trekcompanion at gmail.com. Until next time, take it easy. Bye. See you. I passed it.